the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Christopher's a friend of ours who owns a tree trimming business, but recently his skills have gone to broader use than merely climbing up trees and trimming off branches. See him pictured before you here on two occasions, just in the month of January alone, having rescued young cats out of trees as he went about his business. I'm sure the local fire department was pleased not to get those two calls among all that they have going on. But it does lead to a rather interesting question, doesn't it? How in the world is it that cats can climb trees, get up there, get stuck, and can't get back down and require someone like our friend Christopher to assist them? Well, one animal expert has a theory. She explains that at some point, Mother cats show kittens all sorts of behaviors. They teach them how to encounter prey, how to eat, how to bury their waste, how to interact with humans, and the list goes on and on. They learn these behaviors. And so, when applied to this situation, young cats that have not learned the behavior of climbing back down trees get stuck because they were perhaps taken from their mother before they ever learned that specific behavior. It's not just instinctual. Now, whether or not that's true, we don't fully know, but what we do know is that animals indeed do learn all sorts of behavior by observation and imitation. All sorts of study, which my daughter can tell you after watching these things um, to a great extent, they learn all sorts of things, from frogs to lizards to ants to tigers to lions, um, as they observe both their their kind, as well as those in their immediate pack or familiar group, if we could call it, by observing what they do and imitating it in the same way. They learn by imitation. I believe the same is true of us, certainly when applied to our faith. We learn the rhythms, the, the way of life that Jesus did by watching and imitating the things that Jesus said and did. So this morning, as we encounter perhaps one of the most familiar topics on evangelism um, biblically in the calling of the Twelve, or at least the initial calling of the Twelve, I believe there's some lessons for us to imitate that Jesus leaves us in Luke chapter 5. So if you would open there in your Bible with me or follow along as we look at it on the screens together for just a few moments and glean some lessons that we can imitate and apply in our own lives. So we step into this passage, at least in Luke's account, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Near the Sea of Galilee, we read a large crowd is beginning to gather and press upon Jesus to hear the word of God. And thus he needs to find a place from which to teach because they are growing by the number each moment. So Jesus decides to take advantage of this natural amphitheater, if you will, created by the inlets and cutouts around the Sea of Galilee, and he spots this band of fishermen nearby to assist him towards that end. Now notice Jesus approaches these fishermen at the end of a long, frustrating, toilsome night that has given way to the morning hours and produced absolutely nothing. 
Jesus finds them cleaning their nets, which we know is kind of their final act before they finally get to punch out and head home. And in steps Jesus with this request to commandeer their boats in order to teach. And as Jesus steps into their boats, he steps into, as we know, the very lives of these three men. And their first obedient step of pushing out onto the waters would only be the first of many from this moment where they pushed out onto unknown waters or even familiar waters with Jesus time and time again. And as Jesus sat down in their boat, a formal sign of a teaching gesture in those days, he teaches the throngs of people gathered on the shoreline um, the word of God that they have come hungry to hear from a short distance away. And all are captivated, and it leaves an impression, as we see in verse 5, even upon these fishermen who are in uh, the midst of Jesus. But let's pause here for a moment, because I believe in these opening three verses lies a great lesson that Jesus models for us to imitate, as we are called to practice the same, to bear his name out into the world daily. And it's simply this, just stating the obvious. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus goes to them. Jesus goes to the apostles. He goes to them. He doesn't wait for them to show up or waves them over to where he is. He sees where they are and goes to them. Now, I don't know a preacher on the face of the earth who isn't starry-eyed by verse 1 as crowds gather out of nowhere, hungry to hear the word of God, pressing in to where they are so that they can just do what they do. And I don't know a church on the face of the earth that doesn't default to that tendency as well, naturally. If we just... If we just mark it a little bit better, if we just hold a few more events, if we just do a few more things, once they see we're here, they'll show up. They'll want what we have. If we just do a little bit more and whip up a little more uh, publicity, once they see us, they'll just come. Well, really, the generations that reaped that benefit culturally in America were on the heels of the ones who went out time and time and time again. And we've been riding their coattails ever since. But if you haven't noticed, it's not working anymore. Churches aren't full. No matter how many things we send to their mailbox, no matter how many balloons we throw up on the top of the building, no matter how many events we host, they don't just show up because now they know we're here. They need to know we're here because we go out among them. And Jesus models that for us in a simple way. And notice how Jesus does it. He doesn't walk right up and give a, you know, son of God gospel pitch to these guys in the first 30 seconds. He goes up to them and meets them right where they are. I mean, it's almost so disarming, they can't help but say, well, sure. He plays to their strength. Going up to a group of fishermen and saying, can I borrow your boats? Sure, we can row our boats in our sleep, which is pretty much what we're going to do, because we've been out all night. Hop on in. What do you need? I mean, it was just the easiest invitation he gave them in the midst of who they are. He goes out to them, and from that moment, we know everything changes. And we forget, because we see it later on. I mean, Jesus could have walked on water. Jesus could have commanded them in such a way that only he could do that they gathered around him. But for some reason, he leaves us this model of he goes to them. He engages them right where they are, 
But then that's where the story begins, even in this seemingly simple interaction. I think it leaves us with something to reflect upon. What does that look like to go to them in our lives? The ones that we see, we wave to on the way to the mailbox. Um, the ones that we encounter time and time again, passing through the gas station, usually on the way in and out of work. Um, but the ones that we encounter and do life with, what does that look like? How do we allow our lives to be so interrupted by Jesus and then so lovingly then interrupt the lives of others where they are toward that end? I think Good News Club is a start. I really do. But I don't think that's the ending point. You know, it takes five people to run Good News Club for five or six weeks. We have 201 people on our rolls actively. It's a start. Could we do two? Could we do three in the years to come? Could we find more ways to press out? Dare I say it, could we find ways to take what we do out there? What if we, in years to come, could press out, don't freak out, with BBS out into the neighborhoods or some other form or fashion? What does it look like to do what we do here out there? Because they need to hear it. They may not always come in. How do we go into our subdivisions and the worlds in which we work and gather folks around you know, the backyard grill, and just have conversations to deeply listen to people and forge relationships that bear the burden of the gospel. I wonder what it would do for our community. I wonder what it would do for our church. Jesus shows us what it does back in verse 5. At least we see the effects of it with these fishermen we look there, we see that after Jesus finishes teaching, he does something rather odd, doesn't he? Instead of just saying, all right, guys, I know you're tired. Let's just pull back into shore and everybody heads home. What does he do? He says, no, could we press out a little bit further? And their response, we see, is one of respect, right? Master Peter, for the first time, speaking up for the group. We toiled all night long, but if you say so, we'll do it. We'll go out a little further, he says. And they obey. They press out further. And we can imagine this isn't an isolated thing, right? Those on the shore are watching this play out. After Jesus is done, he stands up in the boat. They may not hear it, but they see him turn to these fishermen. Perhaps they just kind of shrug their shoulders. Why not? They see them row back out. Everyone's kind of wondering what's going on. And then all of a sudden you see them cast their nets out on another side of the boat. It's not about which side of the boat they cast the net, of course, as you know. But the one who they obey a sermon for another day. Their topic right there, right? The, the, the troubled waters begin. They begin to see the excitement of these exhausted and big fishermen as their every muscle is trying to pull these nets into the boat. They hear them holler and wave the second boat over as they come nearby. Everyone's excited even through their fatigue as the boats begin to sink. And everybody sees something miraculous playing out. Not one I, our soul present, misses what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God for that. Because the same is true for us. It includes us in this story as well. And in that, Jesus models a second lesson for us, perhaps, as we reflect on this. Now, while miracles may not occur every single time you go out in Jesus' name, when we cooperate with Jesus, when we lead the life that Jesus lives, when we imitate and put that into practice, we do bring the miraculous 
out into the world. And what that looks like is a very different approach to life. The whole gospel turns the priorities of this world upside down. You know that. And when it's lived out, it is truly miraculous. Why would these people, our friends, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, we haven't seen it perhaps yet, um, lay down their very lives and leave vengeance up to God, not lashing out in the face of all that they see, hear, and engage, both in Rwanda and in Uganda and in Nigeria and so many other places, even right now as it's dark in our friend's country in East Asia. Why do they forgive on the heels of all that they witness when they have every right and every reason not to? Why is it that they reach out with this message of Jesus expecting nothing in return? Why is it that they do these things, being peacemakers, finding beatitude, blessing, happiness, and the very things that Jesus taught and did instead of all the things the world says matter? It brings a different approach to life out into the world, and that's truly miraculous when lived out, when spoken out, wherever we lead life around us. When we lead life differently, when we speak differently, when we share the stories of what God is doing, when we find healing in so many different places, we have miraculous stories to share. Sometimes it comes, you know, months, years after we forge those relationships, but there are simple ways that we can do that as we get to know others. How is your day going is a great cultural invitation to say anything you want. What do we say? Great. Well, God's good. We can, we can take those moments wherever we see them as cracks in for the gospel. When we truly listen and folks truly open up, do we take the opportunity to pray for them? Or do we listen deeply to what's going on and the hurts they have? Or do we just try to offer quick fixes and trite statements that we know we can't really band-aid over? It's from those moments that we bring a different way of life we say to them, cast your nets on the other side, if you will, and discover what I've found, the peace that I've discovered, the wholeness that I can't find anywhere else because of this person, this Son of God, Jesus Christ, my Lord. And it's from those moments in the final verses of this passage that Jesus leaves us with one last model in verse 8, if we look there, a final step, if you will, to imitate we see that Simon, after seeing this moment, this miraculous moment that Jesus brings in their midst, first is convicted. He falls on his knees. He realizes the holiness and the wholeness of the person of Jesus, and he is painfully aware of how deeply distant he is from that. He knows who he is in the silence of his own heart, and he doesn't even deserve to be in the presence of Jesus. That's a natural reaction people will always have to holiness. And that allows us an opportunity of how we engage them. Jesus lovingly meets Simon and James and John where they are, but then he invites them into this eternal kind of life that is unusual and different from the rhythms they're used to, to join him in what he's doing. And from that moment, we know, begins a journey for these men where their very lives, the very patterns and behaviors, everything they do is upended and 
They wouldn't trade a moment of it from the moment that Jesus steps foot in their boat to the moment that they are stepping foot beneath his cross to the moment that the Holy Spirit pours out upon them to the moment that they become the foundation for the church thereafter. They walked away from it all, we read. They docked their boats, docking their own lives on that seashore, and they pursue a life in Jesus. I think therein perhaps is the final thing to recall that Jesus leaves us with, that as we think about these things, as we think about how um, we are called to go to them as we bring a different sort of life to them, we then, like Jesus, are called to invite them to join in. Sometimes, yes, and maybe in God's due course, yes, and in the ways that we lead life, we invite them to come to faith in Jesus, but there are ways that we can just invite them to encounter his goodness a little more and a little more. And there's wonderful opportunities for you to do so. Think about it. Where are the ways that we can enroll them to encounter Jesus in the ways that we do life here at St. Barnabas? Could be as simple as, hey, I've got to go set up for something at church to a friend. Could you come lend me a hand and let's go grab a cup of coffee? Maybe therein opens a conversation Altar Guild ladies, about what is all this stuff that you're setting up, and why does it? Why do you do it? Uh, maybe we tee that up. Hey, I'm going to go drop off a meal to a family uh, at the church. I could really use a hand getting it to the doorstep. Why would you do that? Why do you take meals to folks on the other side of town? Well, you know that's what <coughs> it looks like to live out the love of Jesus. There's great ways we can enroll them where we are and not miss those opportunities, even if it's more work to invite them into it. Heaven knows the amount of times I could have done it in five minutes, and I spent 55 trying to draw someone else in on the process. It goes everything against our culture to, to slow down and to not miss the being among the doing. And yet that's what we need to do. One author that I'm reading um, this, these haunting words have convicted me and should convict the church these days as we look at how we do this, requires a shift in the way we operate. He writes, One of the genuine crises of Christian leadership today is how inward-focused it is. A movement founded on the salvation and transformation of the world often becomes consumed with helping a congregation survive, stay together, or deal with rampant anxiety. While those are needs that we must address, we mustn't lose the mission in the midst of all that is going on. That we're called to lead life differently, to look like Jesus is. That's the goal, full stop. And every fiber of who we are, everything we do must be oriented toward that end. And if it's not, if it's not towards the end of being disciples first who make disciples, then why are we doing it? And what is the end result? Not to persevere or preserve a local tradition or body but so that we may bring the transformation and the transforming love of Jesus Christ out into the world. It brings with it an urge and an itch that we mustn't cease to scratch, to go out among them, to bring a different approach to life, and that as we do so, we enroll and invite them to be part of the same so that they may encounter what we have in Jesus. I pray that this will continue to trouble our hearts this year that it'll continue to spur us on as we look at what we're called to do, and it'll um, move our feet to press out into the community in new ways toward the end that we might reach one more, just one more, 
with the message of Jesus. Our culture needs it. We need it. And as we go, it reminds us of what's most important. One that you and I have the opportunity to bear out daily to his honor and for his glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.